You're listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, The Running Public. And this episode of The Running Public is brought to you by us and The Running Public Training Plan. This running plan has everything we ever talk about on any Training Tuesday, all compiled into one all-encompassing training plan. Now, it's an OCR-specific training plan, but 95% of this is just running. So it doesn't matter if you're training for an OCR or a marathon or whatever. It all is in there. Speed work, threshold, hill work, up, down, long run, long qualities, and plenty of compromised running. Everything we talk about is just waiting for you. That's right. The hardest part about creating your own training schedule is deciding what to do the next day or that day. We take care of that for you, which I think is worth the uh, $19.99 a month in itself. It's cheap, right? And you can cancel at any time. If you've been curious about it or you don't know how to put together all the knowledge we share on the podcast into your own training plan, it's a no-brainer. Where can people go find this uh, this training plan and get signed up, Bragging? On our beautiful website, therunningpublic.com, $19.99 a month, cancel anytime you want. You might have the most visually appealing background I've seen on anybody. <laughs> Isn't it clean? I had to uh, move upstairs because I, I work down in the basement most of the time and I've got like the uh, drop ceiling with the tube lights and they just like flicker and just seeing the flickering on the screen was like giving me a headache, so... It's a clean look. It is a clean look. If you hear, um, I have like, I think a smoke detector that's dying and it's beeping <laughs> like once every, you know, 90 seconds or three minutes. So the listener and you guys might just hear this bird chirp every so often. So sorry about that. Kirk, I didn't tell you because I didn't know this story about you, but the day we got back from surgery, I'm in bed drifting in and out for a couple hours and our carbon monoxide detector started going off. Just over and over, and mm-hmm. I, I couldn't get out of bed. I couldn't do anything about it. Like, if we have to evacuate today and have someone come check this out, because, <laughs> like, batteries weren't fixing it. It was just still identifying gas somewhere. Like, this is the one day I can't be, like, cart myself around <laughs> trying to figure out if our house is safe or not. And then it went away, and we've just out of sight, out of mind. <laughs> and you're still alive, so. <laughs> yeah. Have you noticed any differences in, like, my demeanor? No. Or anything? Just as flippant as ever. Thank you. (laughs) I, uh, I, mine is actually maybe my carbon dioxide detector, to be honest with you. But if it was an alarm, like it's just chirping every three to five minutes, that's a dead battery, I believe. That's not. Hopefully it's not dioxide. Carbon monoxide, sorry. There's many (laughs) oxides. Yeah. Um, Tim, I'm gonna, I'm gonna list, uh, off some names here and I want you to tell me what they have in common, okay? You ready for this? I'll try my best. All right. Uh, Ryan Atkins, Lindsey Webster, uh, VJ Jones, Chris Ruglowski, Tim Lambiris. What do those names uh, have in common? Well, as of like uh, February, I did my first OCR race, so we can I can say we're all OCR athletes, but. Uh, they're professionals and I just do it for fun, I guess. Well, you're not wrong. We all run. You're not wrong. The reason I put you in them is I think those would be the top five names mentioned on this podcast. 
as far as frequency goes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I bring Tim up a lot, don't I? <laughs> you do. It's I, I've heard it a few times. I, I was kind of grin when it pops up there. It's either that or my Instagram handle. <laughs> well, the same thing. Yeah. You two have struck up uh, a friendship that might make a podcast co-host jealous. <laughs> it's one of those beautiful success stories. You put out a podcast, you find a kindred shoe spirit nearby that wants to do long runs. It's, it's a beautiful thing. How did this come to be? Uh, I, I think it was fate because it probably should have come to be about 10 years ago, back when we were basically at the same college, going to the same little college parties and had no clue the other person existed. We went for a run together. Tim slid into my DMs, by the way. All right. <laughs> He chased me. Okay, okay. And he's like, hey, I don't know if this was our first message, Tim, but the way I remember our, our our meet cute story is that you said you had to do 17 miles hilly the next day. You were curious if I wanted to run in, uh, in the Kettle Moraine. And I said, yup. And you're like, you're going to do a bunch of it at marathon pace. It's going to be fast. And I'm like, geez, what am I getting myself into? Because he's like, hey, I want to be sub seven or whatever for the middle 12, whatever it was. And I'm like, these trails aren't, they're legit. This guy's going to run my, my legs off. So I got up early. I had my race breakfast. I got caffeine in me and I, I put on the evil Mafates and I showed up ready to roll. Uh, turned out it was like Tim's first time on the kettle Moraine. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we both had some learning experiences there, but we talked for what? Three plus hours? Something and like that. It was my first time at Lapham. I, I've run over at like Nordic Trails before, but right. I didn't realize how much like vert was in in Lapham Peak there. It was, it was pretty brutal. And it and, and, and those, uh, those, those goal paces went out the window pretty quickly after the first like two miles. Yeah. I mean, you hear peak, you think like flat, pancake, maybe gently rolling. <laughs> it turns out it's a little Wisconsin hill. But... Uh, yeah, actually, I think the first time anything like ever kind of, uh, popped up with Bracken and me as, uh, back in February of like 2000, well, maybe like January, February of 2020, um, I was training for the Phoenix Mesa marathon, uh, going for my first BQ and it was brutally cold out one day and I, uh, had put a post up on Instagram that I did my long run that weekend. Um, and I had gone to the Pettit center and run the indoor track cause it was so brutal outside. And then, uh, a mutual buddy between me and, uh, Bracken like commented on the post and he was like, if you see a, a bald ripped dude there working out, you know, tell him I said, hi. And it was, I was already gone obviously, but, uh, I had actually seen this bald rip dude go running by because I was doing my uh, like a, a marathon pace workout for for eighteen miles on the indoor track and uh, was it Robert Killian I'm, or who I can't think of anybody. <laughs> well, I'm I'm like doing my laps, tearing past everybody in there because uh, everyone else was mostly like recreational runners, and then all of a sudden like this this guy just blows past me and it was like well who's that and then all of a sudden he jumps off the off the track is on the side doing some kind of uh clean or something like that and uh then hops back on blows past me again goes back but it was like right at the end of it and i had no clue anything about bracken or anything like that so 
that ended up uh, just that little comment. Like I clicked on uh, Bracken being tagged in it, and I found like his profile. I found running public all because of that, and I think I started listening to you guys like right around that time frame just because of my buddy commenting, "Hey, if you see this this sexy bald dude." <laughs> Well, this is music to my ears. Wow. <laughs> I, now, I, I recall that day because it was funny. That was my first time at the Pettit in probably nine months. But I had to – it was my last High Rocks workout before High Rock Chicago. And my meniscus was getting really bad, and I was testing how long I could run at race pace with my knee and what I could do, like range of motion. So I did three by two mile with, like – yeah, I had a ram and some other things there, some weights, and I was doing functional stuff in between three by two mile. And so that's what you saw. It just, the, the stars aligned. I had been there that one day and you were there. And <laughs> the rest is written. But during that three hour, three and a half hour long run we had, every time we talked about something, we knew all the same people. We were at Whitewater similar times. Guys I had lived with were guys he had played basketball against. Guys that I lived with, he had lived with. People like mutual friends, party houses we went to. We we knew all the same people. We've run the same trails and done all the same things and never knew each other. Ships passing in the night, Kirk. Hmm. Well, that's um, cute. <laughs> I met you, Tim, down in uh, your first Florida race, or Spartan race down in Florida. You... Uh, had decided to go down there with your wife, I believe, and that was your first first rip at it. And both you and her did pretty well, actually, for your first for your first go. What was your experience with it? How'd you feel about it? Uh, about what I could expect after listening to you guys for about two years. Um, basically, I'd been just soaking up everything, and I knew that I was going to probably just be knocking out piles of burpees. And uh, it wasn't as bad as I thought, but I mean, those burpees still wrecked me. Um, the, the the race was actually really fun. Um, I mean, just being a decently quick runner for a normal person uh, got out pretty hot in the beginning of the race. Well, well, everyone else started out pretty hot, and uh, I kind of sat back a little bit and let it soak in, and and then just let my my running start to to pick up and ease into the race. And by like the very first uh, uh, monkey bars, I had made my way up into the lead of the age group um at Jacksonville in the super and all rookie mistakes basically the whole race just stuff that that got me that I never would have experienced without having done it and and not knowing better uh like right before the uh right before the monkey bars there was a little barbed wire line to go under it wasn't even a crawl it was just a line to duck under and mm -hmm. when I went under it I put my hands right in the mud right underneath it and this is like within 30 yards of the monkey bars so then I'm like running up to the monkey bars trying to wipe it off on my pants and uh my pants were soaked from walking through water so I just hopped on the monkey bars and got like halfway across and slipped right off it was just terrible so like the easiest of all of the like rig type obstacles I fell off of on the very first one that we faced and then I'm over there doing burpees and see every single person that I had just spent all that time working my way up through go running off back into the distance ahead of me so uh got up from those booked it through uh carries and i mean luckily carries are something that i'm pretty decent at as a bigger guy like the weight doesn't affect me a whole lot so um was 
able to probably work my way back up to like somewhere around like fifth or sixth. I don't really know at that point because I had passed so many people getting there. Um, and then we got up to the, the, the spear throw and I throw it. It's dead on the middle, gets halfway there and then just drops straight to the ground. And, uh, I look and I'm standing on the stupid rope. So it's <laughs> the greatest Spartan hits. Like all the mm-hmm. things you heard us talk about, you get to go experience. Yeah. All those mistakes. So after that, after another set of burpees, I mean, it was just basically let's do the best I can going from here. Cause there's no really uh, a longer a chance for me to, to do well in this race, at least in terms of that. So overall it was really awesome. I had a, I had a blast doing it. Um, my wife did a lot better than she was expecting, but she, she doesn't put in like the running work that I do. So she was pretty gassed because of it, but, but it was really cool. Just a lot of stuff that I could have, uh, learned from really glad, uh, that the uh, Mount Olympus was a penalty loop. Cause I'll take like every single penalty loop you give me, I can just run and just keep going. But, but you give me those burpees and it wrecks the race. Mount Olympus sounds crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's just Olympus. Olympus, but if it were Mount I'm, I'm a Olympus, rookie here. No, those are all uh, those are all the reasons that keep you coming back. I think that's for sure. I um I know you guys know each other much better than I I know you, Tim. But we had a good chance to chat that weekend. Um, and I see that like uh, as far as like your online presence go, you are you are all in on the running the running deal. Like, what's your relationship with running these days? Are you is that what consumes a lot of your free time and uh, and your focus? I assume the answer is yes, obviously. Uh, in, in terms of like my own personal health and fitness and stuff like that, the primary thing has always just been running. Um, I'm a streak runner. I run every single day. I still kind of get like my, my, uh, rest days in by doing like a, a one mile every Monday just to keep the streak going. But mm. I'm somewhere around like 1635 days of not missing a single day of running. Wow. Um, and I usually average somewhere between like 40 to 50 miles a week. Um, nothing crazy, but then when I start getting into like a, a marathon build or something like that, I usually get up to somewhere around like 65, 70. I haven't really ever gone too much above that though. How many, how many consecutive days was that again? Uh, 1,600 and like 34 or something like that. So you're just shy of five years. I would have something like that. I, I started on January 1st of 2018. And so about four and a half years now at the end of this month. And now Man, people's math skills on the fly perpetually impress me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a numbers guy. You guys would have had to sit there and give me like 30 seconds for me to calculate how many rough years that would have been. Astonishing boys. Quick. That's a some, some parallel me to Rain Man Bracken. You don't know that, but compared to me, you are. <laughs> <laughs> no, no injuries in there. No major hiccups. A day you thought that you might lose the streak due to extenuating circumstances. Uh, my fault. <laughs> <laughs> I I've never fallen on the trails running except for running with Bracken. And I think the first three times I ran with him, I ate it really hard all three times. And I was like, I can't keep running with this guy. He probably thinks I'm a buffoon. I'm out here just tripping over my own self. Well, the first two were at Lapham and that's really rocky. And I've, I've fallen at Lapham, but the third one was one of the scarier falls I've watched. We were on a bike path, Kirk. And it was a little bit icy, but we could move around it, and it started snowing. And then it snowed, like, a 30-second of an inch of coverage in, like, the first 10 minutes. 
just enough you couldn't see where the ice was anymore. And he planted a foot, and everything went. And he's athletic enough that he didn't go down. And what it led to was like a 10-foot trail in the snow of him sliding and falling. But then his leg buckled underneath him in the way that ACLs buckle. And I just thought, oh, my goodness. Because I I told this guy, this is where I want to run. (laughs) He just tore his ACL. And Tim, the first thing you probably noticed about Tim was the first thing I noticed, which is that he's massively bigger than me. Yeah, he's, you're a big dude. He's 6'5". Yeah. yeah, and I thought 6'5", I'm probably the best heavy carrier in Wisconsin. <laughs> and I'm, I don't know how long I'm going to be able to carry Tim back to the house. He's <laughs> Luckily, he just got back up and got right to it. But I thought, oh my goodness, this is terrible. That was actually one of the closest instances of me uh, not being able to run the next couple of days. Um, I've been in car accidents. I've had reconstructive hand surgeries. I've had uh, kids born. I had a vasectomy. Uh, ran through all of it. And uh, this little slip up with Bracken on the on the bike path, like I thought I like totally broke my foot. The I, I jogged off the rest of the run, and then the next night I was like crawling around the house because it was so swollen but i hobbled hobbled out a mile on it woke up the next morning and the swelling had all gone down and i was perfectly fine is that typical protocol running the day of and after a vasectomy is that that promotes healing or something no i don't know i mean i feel like i've always healed pretty quickly from stuff i've had done because of you know constantly being active like the extra blood flow doctors tell me like that has to play some kind of role but um i mean they said that that was a big role with my hand surgery but uh with with that like you just gotta time it all right i i ran like the day the day before had surgery and first thing i did in the morning like a half hour before leaving was i got my little run in um and then i waited till like 11:50 at night the next night to to get it in within that day and and it was like a 12 minute mile hobbling down the road with like the tightest nike compression shorts on i could find <laughs> so this is this is not by happenstance you've you've scripted this streak I mean, whenever there's been these weird instances, like stuff like that, I've, I've, you know, my, my hand surgery, I went running the morning before and obviously your hand, you don't need that to run. So I just told them I'm going to run whether you like it or not. But, but then they told me like through physical therapy with that stuff that like, you know, that blood flow probably helped your hand heal 10 times faster. So, so when that day comes and it, and it's going to come, unfortunately, at some point it's going to come where that, where that it's going to end. Whether it's by death or it's by illness or it's by some freak accident or it's by simply you just don't feel like it, which I highly doubt will be the case. How is that going to how are you going to respond to that? So I think I've kind of talked about this a little with Bracken on one of our long runs, but um, we talk about a lot of stuff, so maybe not. But um, I'm, I'm a pretty compulsive person. So when I started it, like it was just the thing I was doing and there's no way I'd give it up and, and I'm just stubborn. And then over like the last year or so, I got to the point where it's like, you know, if it happens, it happens, but I want it to to happen on my terms. So like when, when like something like that stupid slip on the bike path happened, like I'm like, that that can't be the way it ends. You know what I mean? So I'm, I'm at the point now where, where I wouldn't like probably psychologically be wrecked if something happened that, that it ended, I'd be okay with it. But I still like, if I'm going to end it, I want it to be because I just choose that, Hey, you know what? 
I'm okay with letting it go or I just am not going to do it today. And I actually came pretty close to that after uh, the Boston Marathon this past fall. Why? Why was that? <laughs> I was just so wrecked after the race that that uh, mm. after like two months of um, just still not feeling good at running after the race that like I wasn't enjoying myself. And that's kind of, you know, helped lead to me venturing more into the trails because I'd just been grinding it out on the road, chasing marathon stuff for so long that, you know, I think my body just needed a break. Hmm. Um, is a mile worth it? I'm going to leave it that simple. Is a mile worth it? Is a, I mean, it, it's deeper than that to me because, like, the whole reason I started it was for completely reasons not for myself or anything like that so i mean um i don't know we could we'll probably talk about that but i i started it to get in shape for my kids because i after college and stopped playing sports and stuff like that actively i just kind of got lazy and out of shape and quite heavy and uh my dad was always like young active healthy um with us when we were kids growing up and i found out my wife was pregnant with our twins and I'm like, man, I don't feel like my old self. Like, I'm chubby. It's hard to bend over to tie my shoes. Like, I just don't move like I used to. And, uh, like, if I have these kids coming, I want to be that way like my dad was with them. So if I don't turn something around now, then, um, you know, I, I won't be able to, to do that for them. Or it could be even worse. And, you know, I could be having major health issues later down the road. So just that year, the kids were born in December January 1st that year I just said every day this year I'm going to run at least a mile to get back in shape. So, I mean that was the the first like year year and a half of it was all basically just weight loss, but you know, when you start running and getting into uh chasing different races and distances, like I had quickly signed up for my first half marathon before I'd even ran that, I had already signed up for the Chicago marathon and was signed up and getting ready to run that. So, uh I mean is the mile worth it right now? I mean, if there was like a health thing involved where I, I knew that I'd be hurting myself doing it or had to give it up over just one mile, I'd say, no, it's not worth it. But if you asked me like, if you asked me like, uh, back in 2018, if it was worth it, I would have said, regardless, it's worth it because then there was like more to it. you know, now I'm healthier, active in shape, can do stuff that I wasn't able to do then. But, but Back then, it was more about my health and being there for my kids than just getting a mile in. Of all the ways to start a run streak, I think that's probably the most honorable or altruistic approach to it. Because those are inherently selfish streaks. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm sure yours has gotten selfish. You know, your wife gave birth and you had to sneak out to run. Like, I'm not calling you selfish, but that's a self-centered no, absolutely. But so in terms of why you started it and what it means, that's a pretty honorable one. I'd like to think so. But I mean, it's, it's, I mean, luckily I have a really understanding wife who, uh, puts up with a lot of nonsense and, and over the years, even before all this, like I said, I'm a kind of a compulsive person. So when I start getting into something, I kind of go all in and, uh, uh, like it's been one hobby after another for, for ever since she's known me. So she's, she's kind of put up with my nonsense for a while. And, and this is the longest going one of all of them. So, you know, I really appreciate the fact that, that she doesn't kick me out some nights, but you know, I, I try to be as flexible as possible. I'll try to do it in the morning before everyone's awake or wait till, you know, some of the worst runs are when you've had a really, really long day and, 
you know, I, I could go right after work, but the kids, you know, need to get fed dinner or be taken care of. And she's been dealing with them so long. So it's just like finding that balance and, you know, let's get them to bed. And then once they're asleep, then I can go get my time in out there, you know, however I have to versus impacting the family. Who knows what your marriage really is like, but my picture from the outside is that you're one of the only people that when we plan runs, you'll consistently say, here's my window. I could do it earlier, but then that runs into she's got the kids the whole time or it's too long here or you structure your long runs with me at least around when you need to be home for kids. So, I mean, she might be hearing this being like, what? No, that's not how it works. <laughs> but at least to my outside perspective. I don't hear that as much. Usually I hear the opposite. I'll be on a coaching call with someone and be like, oh, you know, my husband or wife is getting frustrated because my long runs, I have to do it during this time when I want my temperature right or I want these trail conditions and you're doing the opposite. You're, we you're still have our times. Oh, I mean, sure everyone does. But the fact that it crosses your mind enough yeah. to tell me is a little bit rare in my world. One of my favorite things about running is that I've often seen it start as weight loss, as just getting into the habit of developing a healthier lifestyle. And gosh, nine out of 10 times at minimum, it turns into something much bigger for people who stick with it. Like it didn't, it didn't start like this. You couldn't imagine being running marathons and flying all the way somewhere for a race, like a stupid race. You're going to go fly and spend money and go do those things. And, um, but I see it so many times, like somebody who has lost fitness in quotes, begin running as part of a get in shape program. And then five years later, they're on a running podcast, you know, that sort of trajectory. <laughs> see it all the time, but it is true. It is true. Why mm -hmm. did you fall in love with running Tim through that process? Uh, it, it was just like the commitment to it. I mean, I, I feel like it, it's even more to, to just the the getting in shape for my kids too. It's just seeing something through. And I mean, a lot of times throughout my life, I've just hopped from one thing to the other that was interesting to me or, or, okay, this isn't cutting it. Let's flip over to this, or, you know, this is getting tough. Let's find something more interesting to do. Um, so I think like another part that's kind of just kept me digging and going and going for more is just like staying committed and, and seeing the progress in the long run and from where I started and into where I'm at now and, and just wanting more than, you know, where I'm at now, even pushing to, to get better. You know, I'm not ever going to be an elite athlete doing any of this, but, um, you know, me and a couple of my buddies that, that got together and run, um, you know, we're kind of just a group of guys who, who are just dads or right around the same age, same age range. They're all just like, you know, we want more than just this, regular running and, and, you know, you can join a million different running groups and not that there's anything wrong with that, but 99% of the time it's about just the social aspect of it. Um, you know, and, and just like pushing myself to see what I can get out of myself. I, I've always been, you know, a person who pushed hard in terms of, you know, any sports I played or anything like that, like just see how far you can take it and how good you can get. That's a very good answer. Mm, Tim didn't want to come answer. on because he doesn't like how he sounds when he talks. He's sitting here philosophizing at us. <laughs> it's always that awkward thing where you hear your voice and that now I'm sitting here wondering, like, what am I going to listen to on Saturday on my long run? Because I, I'm going to be listening to myself talk. It's better than watching <laughs> yourself make out on TV. I promise you that. <laughs> Tim's screen name yeah. today is imposter syndrome, in case anybody wants to know. <laughs> <laughs> 
What what's your impression of Tim as a runner? And since you guys now know each other, Bracken, I'd like to get your take on. I'd like to get your take on him. Well, Lisa asked what our angle is today. Okay. And the easy answer is that we don't generally have an angle. We like <laughs> someone's got something that they're notable for, but we talk about life until they say something interesting and then we follow that thread. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, everyone's on for a reason. And I would say that Tim is like the I don't even know if this is going to be a compliment or not, but I mean it as one. He's the the everyman success story. Not that Tim is an everyman, but he represents the goals of the everyman. As he said, he doesn't ever have illusions of being like in the elite corral at Boston, but he's qualified for Boston many times. And for the for the everyman, for the every woman, qualifying for Boston's a big deal. And that's for people who grew up running. You know, Tim was and is an athlete. And he's 6'5", and he started running to lose weight. Like Those are all relatable pieces. I used to do ball sports. Running's not a, a sport. It's a punishment. Then I took it up for health reasons. Then I actually got pretty good at it to the point where now I'm putting in 60 and 70-mile weeks and running BQs, and then I you know, got my, my wife into it. And it, it, I guess he's just, to me, he embodies the everyman success story. Like people always post on like on Let's Run or on Reddit, like what are the stats needed to break three in a marathon or to BQ? Like how talented you need to be? And I would say Tim, you need to be as talented at running as Tim. And Tim went what? How many years, Tim, would you say without ever considering what your running talent level could possibly be? I mean, I never really got interested in until 2018 on, on that level. I mean, I jogged here and there for working out and stuff, but I never pursued running in any shape or form. Um, I'm trying to, I got to do the math in my head here real quickly. Cause I'm getting old. Um, so 2018, that's four, four and a half years ago. I'm uh, like 34 years. Okay. So however much talent is needed to not know you were any good at running for 34 years to not ever be that person who are like, Hey, you know what you should do? You should try track. You know, or you should run cross country. You know, that if that conversation doesn't come up, you don't have like noticeable talent to all the people around you. So whatever talent is needed, Tim has it. And that talent is day in, day out work, not be born five five, a hundred pounds with foot speed. So I guess that's why I want Tim here today. Because when we do these episodes, you have Ross Weimer or you have TJ or anyone like that. We get way more comments of people like, man, I love the stories of the world champions, but I relate nothing to that. But Tim's like that stretch goal for the average person. I think I could probably do what he can do. Even if I can't quite attain it, it at least makes sense that it could be attainable. I just messaged this woman on Instagram last night. Brack and I sent you a video clip of her. She's got like 150,000 followers and she's like the everyday runner who like humanizes it and also makes it funny. And I think she's fantastic from knowing her zero, but she committed to doing a podcast with us, which I think is fantastic. And then she sends me a message like four hours later and goes, I just looked into you guys. Wait a minute. Why on earth do you want to interview me? (laughs) Like, what are we even going to talk about? And I was like, whatever you have to say is probably going to be more relatable to 99% of our listeners versus having an Olympic champion on or a professional athlete on like you are the every woman who like humanizes this sport. That's what we're going to talk to you about. And 
I would just, just to back up what you had just said, um, our most listened to episodes, the ones you get the most comments on, aren't our high-end athletes, are they, Bracken? No, but but I feel like Tim is the high-end athlete that people could still relate to. Just in the sweet spot, as you say? Just in the sweet <laughs> spot, yeah. Like he's a good runner, and he's a probably better athlete, but he's found a way to do it on an athletic frame rather than as like the born-to-run person. Tim, what was your first 5K when you went out and you ran a 5K? What was that? And then compare that to like today for perspective. Uh, I'd have to go really far because, I mean, I've ran a bunch of million, like those like Susan G. Komen 5K run walk things like way back in the day before I'd really consider my runner, myself a runner. And I was probably around that time. And that was before I put on the weight. So um, around that time, I was probably running somewhere around like the 830 a mile pace ballpark but that was at like gas myself full effort it's like 26 30 5k or something like that somewhere in there yeah mid mid 20s and kirk i know you're probably going somewhere with this but the deflex question right off that is what is your your average 5k split for your marathons now uh i average 638 a mile throughout the whole marathon i try to even split pretty much everything unless i blow up in the end of boston so you're cutting six minutes off your 5K PR, six plus, every every 5K in a marathon. Pretty much, yeah. And I think that right there, like, Kirk, I know you're going to go somewhere with that, but that, like, backs up what we were saying. 26-minute 5K is relatable to everyone. And then being able to cut two minutes off that is like, well, maybe I could do that. Wow. 638 pace. Impressive. That was the goal. What okay, wait, well let's I'll distract myself further, I guess. Did that lasted for a while until it didn't? Is that what happened? Well it, it Boston at Boston goal was, was six thirty eight the whole race, but at mile like twenty one I completely obliterated. I I blew up hard. Um so I mean everyone talks about like the Heartbreak Hill, how terrible it is there and stuff. And it's not really that hill that gets you, it's uh the downhills all before then like you people who know running and understand that have talk about it all the time but you know you look at the course at boston and i think you you have a, a net downhill of 400 feet um but what they don't really they there's 900 feet of climbing in there and 1300 feet of descent so it's not just 400 feet of descent it's a lot of descent and a good amount of climbing so mm-hmm. um i i got uh had some GPS issues early on in the race. Couldn't even rely on my watch anymore. Found a, a fellow kindred spirit running down the, the road with me and uh, tagged on with them for a while just because they were going my same goal, same pace. And and uh, they disappeared behind me somewhere around the Newton Hills. And uh, that's like mile 16. So the next like three, four miles is going through the three different hills at, at, at Heartbreak Hills area. And I was tearing through there. I was averaging dead on pace through the whole thing. Got to the top of Heartbreak Hill. Thought it was easy because I'd done so much hill training. Um, crest Crest Heartbreak Hill with Mike Wardian on my side as as he was running the day after running Chicago. So that was pretty cool. Um, actually got to, to to ride the bus with him to the start line. So that was really awesome. But aside from that, then then the next like mile 
after after Heartbreak Hill is just a straight downhill. And I went down that mile like 620 pace and just flew. Felt great. Uh, rounded a corner, hit a little flat stretch, and then my legs just quit working. So right around like mile 21, 22, I basically ended up having at Boston to uh, walk jog the rest of the run in. That would be the wall, wouldn't it? They all, they it, all talk it, about... And it wasn't nutrition. My nutrition was on point. Usually, you know, you hear that from like an energy standpoint. I just didn't have it in me anymore, but I just had pushed it so hard. And and in my training, I feel like if I go back, like I don't feel like I ever really trained myself to run fast after doing hill work. I just did hill work and I ran fast. So I felt like, you know, once I had wrecked myself, I couldn't just keep wrecking myself on that, that fine line of threading the needle with the marathon pace. So the legs just didn't want to keep going. Uh, it was still like my third or third fastest marathon I've ran out of the, the few I've done. So I can't complain, but, but it was, I didn't end up running sub three at, uh, at Boston goal was two fifty five. I ended up running, I think like a three Oh six with walk jogging the last four miles. That's a painful way to run run three Oh six, isn't it? I, it was brutal. My fastest split was the last mile, though, because you like round uh, Hereford and uh, onto Boylston, and and it's just like the craziness, the whole stretch down. And I I think I ran somewhere like sub six that last mile. <laughs> well, Bracken, you proved you you made my point about his progress. You got right to the point, which is like if you're gonna relate him to the top end of the everyman, like use that as inspiration without question that is an astronomical improvement i, I want to know how much weight you lost you said weight loss was part of your original deal yeah so when i started running i weighed about 280 pounds um i'm six five so you know a big guy 280 pounds i mean i looked chunky but i didn't look like obese or anything like that i just didn't look like the young active healthy person i used to be and, and it spread pretty easily on me but you know, if you look at a picture, you can definitely notice a big difference. Um, and I'm down to, I, I usually float right now somewhere around like 205 to 210, depending on where I'm at in a training cycle. Notable. For sure. And was that all a byproduct? Like a lot of times I'll have people come to me with a weight loss goal and they want to talk nutrition and they want to talk all those things, which are very, very important, right? All of those factor into all this. I'm sure you, you were focused on that as well. But a lot of times I say, well, your eating isn't terrible. And I trust maybe yours wasn't either. I said, let's, let's start working out and see what your body does before we like add too many factors into the equation and feel like we have to restrict and be super stringent on a lot of levels. Let's just see what adding and working out does to your body before we, we worry, you know, we have other options later if we need them. Was that the case with you or did you, did you focus on both the workouts and the nutrition equally? Uh, it was mostly just the adding the activity back into the mix. I mean, in, in terms of eating, uh, I've always eaten mostly healthily. Don't really ever go to fast food restaurants or anything like that. I, I can't even remember the last time I ate fast food. Um, and my, my thing is just, it's more of a, like, uh, it was a self-control thing. Like I didn't eat unhealthily, but I ate too much. Like I would just eat too much. Um, I, I live in Wisconsin. I drink probably more beer than I should. Um, so that, that adds to it. And then when you throw in that inactivity for several years, it just kind of piles on pretty quickly. 
Mm-hmm. So, so once I started being active again, I didn't really have to change a whole lot about my diet. I mean, I kind of got to keep a, an eye on how much I'm eating because it's just I like food and food's good. And then the more you run, the more hungry you always are. So it's kind of like keeping an eye on that and then just keeping the active part in, in my life. Bracken, I had a question. Times... Oh, go ahead. No, no, no. Follow it up. And then mine's an aside. Well, no. Uh, is it about food? No, it's it's about Wisconsin. No, you go ahead. Well, how many times have we heard either on this podcast already, I'm from Wisconsin, I'm from Minnesota, or I'm from the Midwest, so, you know, and the you know is we drink. It's like, <laughs> how many other areas of the country is there that connotation? Or, you know, it's, I'm from Wisconsin, so like one of the pastimes is beer. You know, that's, it, it's interesting how interwoven it is into the Midwest to the point where, it's almost, you know, it like apologizes for itself. It's like, yeah, I, I probably drink way too much beer, but you know, I'm from Wisconsin. Like that's, you get together and it's just part of the, the festivities. It's part of, it's almost like a sport in some regards. I mean, it is. It, you kind of have some social ranking. <laughs> you know, it's, beer it's pong. Strange. Yeah, yeah. So how many, how many other areas of the country have a, a negative connotation to where you live impacting your, either your health or your weight or your lifestyle? Do you hear it as much about other sections of the country? I feel like you hear it with like down south, like it's southern food, it's comfort yep, food, food. Mm-hmm. you know. I, that's the only real instance I can think of. Yeah, but if you, you went cook out here more in the weight loss field, what do you hear? If you went out if you went out in public in like in Wisconsin and ran like ran errands, did groceries, maybe stopped at the at Target to pick something up, you would see a handful of drink Wisconsinably shirts. That's how infused it is. Like you would see that. It's true. Um, I, Bumper stickers about it. I closed Moe's Pub. You know, it's 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 just a it's like a cultural. Mm-hmm. And it's even worse in the endurance community. So you take the endurance community and then you add, put that in the Midwest here, and it's a recipe for like commonality. Like you just like you get done with a long run in some communities, and people have both water and like Coors Light in their cooler for post-run recovery. Like I've seen that more often than you think. So yeah, I I wanted to touch on a an interesting note about um, running and and food and weight loss. And I'm curious to get your guys' take on this. I had a conversation with a an athlete or client client and athlete. I see her in person in the gym and and I coach her. Um and. I've sort of noticed this trend, like when she's running a lot, her diet isn't as good. And maybe like if her goal was weight loss, let's say like that sort of slows down when she's running a lot, which you would think would be the opposite. Whereas if let's say she's taking recovery weeks or she's cross training due to injury or not working out as much, her she has an easier time with her nutrition and then her potential weight loss follows, right? Like And so this started, I've noticed a couple other people with this trend in the past, like they run or they train really hard and they train a lot and then their appetite gets so high and aggressive that they swing too far the other way. Almost like I'm so hungry, I'm going to eat whatever's in sight. And then it almost negates what they're trying to accomplish. I just thought I'd open up that conversation because I can't wrap my head around that because you would think somebody who runs and trains more would see correlated success. Let's just say like, oh, I want to lean out. I'm going to run more and it's going to work. But um, the cravings piece and the intensity of hunger, you know, like Tim was sort of insinuating is real for sure. 
Have you guys experienced anything? Like, what are your thoughts on that? For me, it's, I mean, I'm a big guy, so I'm probably burning more calories than most people out there while running. Like I'm just hurling. I'm, I'm a, I'm a heavy sweater. I, I, I am just hurling a bunch of weight down the road when I'm running fast paces. And, and I feel like, you know, I'm not the best at like getting that initial food into me, like within the first half hour, hour, like recovery type stuff, some proteins and carbs back in me. I usually have to like get done and go take care of some kids or do something and, or, or I I get a lot of runs in on my lunch break. So then I'm like jumping right back to work. Um, so you know, for me, then all of a sudden it comes a couple hours later, a few hours later, and my body's just like craving, like replenish me and, and then I'm just starving. So f- for me, I feel like, you know, I've, I've, the, the body's just asking for more. I, I don't know on top of that, like outside of that, I'm not like a, a nutritionist or anything or a scientist that studies why that would be. Well, I'm neither of those, but I've worked with enough people to see that there's really type A and type B, not personality wise, but in terms of what their diet goes into when they work out a lot. And it's the people that need incentive and they need pressure to eat well. And there's people who don't. And the people who don't need incentive or pressure to eat well are going to eat well when they run more. But the people who need like that pressing concern of, I know I'm not working out enough. And so I need to nail my nutrition. They're kind of released from that when they start running more. So you either lose weight when you run more or you stay the same or you gain weight when you run more, depending on what drives you to eat well. It sounds like, Tim, you ate well start to finish. You just overindulged. Yeah, for the most part, yeah. I mean, there's always room for growth. I mean, I, I, I listened to some of your guys' uh, podcasts and you, you – know, well, I, I pretty much listened to all of them. But, you know, the ones where you talk about, like, the dad tax and stuff like that, all of that hits home to me. Um, you know, even Kirk's with the with the drinking and all that kind of stuff. Like, you know, is is the pandem- pandemic really a, an, an excuse to drink more than you really should? Like, everyone's just like, oh, hey, it's, it's, it's the pandemic, you know? I mean – I, I, you know, I personally know that, you know, I've taken that too far over the last couple of years. It's, it's not something I feel like it's like a, a reliance of me. Um, like I could just stop drinking whenever I want. It's That's not an issue. It's just like, but why didn't I, you know? So I actually like leading up to Asheville here, which is the next race I'm going to do. I've said like, I'm not drinking until then. So just to, just to, you know, take that little next little step to, to get myself in a better position would come race day, you know? I just thought of something interesting that that I, I just had a conversation about, and I thought back to college, and I don't know if you, again, either of you have theories on this, but my roommate, we would bump mileage up to start running more, uh, especially early on in the season before we were tapering or anything, and like clockwork, he would be running more, he'd bump up to 70, 80 miles a week, and it's like with every 10 miles he added to his week, he went up a pound, and he went up another pound, <laughs> and then we'd have a week off, and he'd lose that weight, it's like... Do our bodies, do we have smart bodies that know we need to hold on to things for use in our workouts? Or is there something to water retention, just for hydration? I don't know. I'm just, it's something I'm trying to like grasp right now. Maybe there's a listener that can like tell me these things that I just don't know. But I, I don't know if you guys had perspective or noticed that at all. But um, I've noticed it with a few people. So that's why I brought it up and asked. Wasn't sure. I've, 
I feel like I'm kind of the opposite. Like when I really get into the build, as much as I eat, I'm breaking down in weight. I'm, I'm cutting lower and lower. Um, and then it's like, um, that, that hunger then carries over until after the race a little bit. And then you're still eating on that higher level when you are in like recovery mode, then you pack on a bunch of pounds when you're being le- less active, at least mm-hmm. like from my own experience. But, and I, I think I'm the same way where I'm not the, I work out more. I have permission now to do what I want. I'm the opposite where I, I care more when I'm not working out. Like what is a drink on a Friday night? Because what's waiting Saturday morning? An extra hour of sleep if I want it. Mm-hmm. When I'm in a training block or just in a good rhythm and there's 16 waiting for me on Saturday morning, a Friday night drink's not happening for me because I value the next day's run. But there is certainly the opposite. We've had teammates kind of like what you're describing, Kirk, and for them I always saw every 10 miles they bumped up, they bumped up three or four extra beers that weekend. Mm. Like they they ran and they earned their drinks. Other people ran and they earned their desserts. You know, when you earn that through extra, you know, that always is negating some of that work you're putting in, either from a recovery standpoint or from a stress point on your on your psyche or on your joints, whatever it is. So it's mm. really, are you the person that earns more or the person who values what you have more? Yeah. Now, this podcast obviously is about me, but um, I've noticed with myself, I don't earn anything, but like, for example, when I'm training a lot and I fly in the door from getting home from work and I'm starving, like when I'm not working out, I just like hold off. I'm not that hungry. It's not that intense. Bracken's saying about your intensity doesn't mean how much you should eat. It's how soon you should eat. Well, if anybody who, who's been to my house and has hung out with me well, I keep a stack of Pringles in my cupboard at all times. Lots of them. And when, when Kirk's training heavy and he's making dinner and he can't wait... There's a fat stack of Pringles going down the hatch on the way to dinner. That's stuff I don't do when I'm not training heavily because my appetite doesn't tell me I need to eat so immediately. So it's like little things like that that I notice that I think some people could probably reflect on. And I'm not trying to lose weight or anything, but um, I don't know. Pressing for me anyways. Um, we can move on from this, can't we? Um, <laughs> I do want to repeat that quote, though, the one you attributed to me, but it's really yep. Josiah Middaws because it's been the single most game-changing quote for me of anything nutritionally in the last decade. I think about it all the time. I think about it a few times a week when I'm super hungry. Yeah. Yep. Every time I get done with a big workout, it's on my mind now. So again, Josiah, I doubt you're listening right now, but if anyone that knows Josiah is, thank him for this because he just made a simple Instagram post that said, let's see, how exactly did he say it? The the intensity of your hunger correlates to how soon you should eat, not how much you should, you should eat. And I'm probably still butchering it, but the fact that if you're starving after a workout, it doesn't mean you need 12 eggs in your scramble. It means you need to eat an egg scramble now. It could be two eggs. doesn't matter. Your body wants it now, not more. And that changed everything with mm-hmm. me. Yeah, it's true. I'll be at work. I'll be at work with clients and I'll be between clients and I'm so hungry and I'm like, all I have time is to grab this quick 200 calorie bar and I'll grab it. Be like that would never appease me in any other situation. I go back to work with clients and 20 minutes later, I have no hunger at all. And all I ate was a little mm-hmm. 200 calorie bar. So um, let's get back to you, Tim. Yeah. How's that sound? <laughs> uh, you asked what running changed. I want to know what changed to get to that point. Because you, you, you were 280, not happy with your body. And Kirk asked the great question, which is, when you ran, why did it work? 
Well, I want to go back further and find out what stopped working that you got to 280 in the first place. Because if you're the everyman, Tim, which we've labeled you, every man and woman on this earth goes through that period where things don't work any longer. So take us back to actually college, if you don't mind. Oh, yeah. And tell us where you were at when you were at your pinnacle of yourself Uh, as an athlete. My pinnacle of myself as an athlete was probably a couple years after um, college, actually. Um, So around that time... Uh, like like I, I played two years of college basketball before transferring over to Whitewater to finish um, out there be- before I was done at Whitewater and uh, played mostly like pickup games there after that because, you know, basketball and playing on a higher level just was more of a job than it was fun and it te- definitely took away from like the uh, academic side of stuff. So quit playing like officially organized, just started playing like a lot of pickup games, but but that was kind of like around that that time frame where like my my uh like I always had the physical ability there but then like my mental comprehension of like the sport itself of basketball kind of caught up to the physical ability of me so so in terms of like sports and basketball like my best time frame was probably the couple years after college where where like it all kind of just came together um and I was at my best but even after like kind of college sports died, I, I kind of like took it into the whole like gym bro mode, um, working out five days a week, getting ripped, buying all the supplements, um, just just going to town. And that's kind of I think where my like compulsiveness with with getting into stuff went. And I, I kind of took that as far as I take everything and. Um, you know, when you're, when you're like doing like leg presses that are the size of small cars for, for reps, um, and, and like getting hurt, just lifting more than you really should be lifting for, for no real reason. Um, I think I kind of just burnt myself out doing stuff like that. And, uh, and I had like met my wife right around that time frame as well. Uh, right when I was like in my fittest, uh, I was probably like somewhere around like six, 7% body fat, uh, weighed around like 195, but just complete lean mass. Um, how did you, sorry to interrupt, how did you determine, Bracken asked your pinnacle of fitness, and, and you said it was after college, which meant you were after you were done playing basketball, at least collegiately. What what does that mean? Like why why was that your pinnacle? Because you were lean, or because uh, just, you were no, in your mind? Just uh, curious. Oh, overall, all around uh, athletic ability, I'd say, because you know, before then, like it was very single tracked towards whatever sport I was playing at the time. And I mean, I grew up playing a bunch of different sports, but you know, later on it was mostly geared towards basketball, but that's just physical ability. And then kind of, I never really lifted. I I never really cared about the, like, like up until that point, I never cared about my nutrition at all. Um, but when I went into like that gym bro mode, I was, uh, full in on the, on the health and nutrition side of things, like just eating as immaculately as I could. Um, I was more well-balanced of an athlete. Like I do a lot of different things. I played a lot of like sand volleyball, indoor volleyball, basketball, um, softball, like every different sport that I would do, like just overall, I was better at all of them because I was lifting, I was healthier, I was faster, I was stronger. So like right around that time, it was just overall my own physical ability at that point. Plus then having, you know, the, the nutrition side added into stuff. 
but but that's where i i took it to like probably too far and burnt out on it um and, and then that was right when i had met my wife i met her we started dating we got engaged i still kept working out but the the, the eating and the laziness because now i got my i got i got the got the girl. I don't need to work as hard on the body anymore. And, and kind of just got lazy. And then that's where it kind of like, she's going to love hearing that. Uh, she's heard the story a million times. She watched it happen. So, <laughs> um, listen, the amount of, the, the amount of split shorty shorts, Tim wears, if, if, if his wife puts up with that, she'll put up with most anything. <laughs> Are they even worth wearing? If, if it's longer than two inches, they're not even shorts. Then they're basically <laughs> pants. If I'm not worried about seeing something, I shouldn't, <laughs> you're not wearing them. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just sweat so much. Like I, if I'm doing anything over like eight to 10 miles, I have to wear like half tights. Otherwise, like, uh, just with how much I sweat, like stuff just shreds my legs up. And let's be and, honest. If you're doing anything longer than eight to 10 miles, you're changing midway through. Nah, I, I made it, I made it in, uh, while I was pacing this guy, this couple weekends ago during the hundred mile race, I, I made it like 20 something miles before changing my shirt. We were good. That was that pretty impressive. <laughs> that might be. I usually just don't wear a shirt because you don't have to change it if you're not wearing it. I find like it's always something of note. Like if you see like a guy run by and he's five ten, no matter what his build, and he's wearing his shorty shorts, I don't think much of it. But when like a guy that's like six five runs by and he's wearing split shorts, like it always turns my head. I'm like, what's that guy up to? Like what's that guy <laughs> really got going on? He's fighting a lot of a lot of bias or a lot of like um, generalities that you know we would make assumptions. So, anyways, it's always it's always amusing to me when I see it on your story. But continue. Oh, I have I have no shame. I, I don't care. You yeah, should. it's 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 the uh, most effective piece of equipment for the job. That's right. So you peaked, you met your wife, and then you started down the other slope, which was I worked too hard to get to that point. It wasn't sustainable. And how did it snowball? And how, and how did it not stop initially? It just I as like the lifting and the being as active like trickled off like and and I still. I still was lifting a couple times a week, a few times a week here and there. And my wife was always going to the gym with me, but it was just the fact that I wasn't, you know, playing like, like I was playing organized sports in some extracurricular way, like four to five times a week. So like whether it was volleyball, basketball, whatever, what have you, um, when all that kind of just stopped, most of it was like me relocating from, you know, where we went to college and our, our old hometowns to out towards the Kenosha racing area. I just came out here, didn't know anybody out here, didn't have like any of the leagues that I was playing with with my friends any longer. Um, so I just kind of didn't have that to fall back on. So it was just me in the gym. And then that burned out, started having some knee problems because of like squatting and leg pressing too much and uh then then that just made it less fun and that slowly trickled down um and i just started like doing other things that were more interesting to me at the time but they weren't active like fishing a bunch and stuff like that i mean not that that's a bad thing but you know it doesn't burn the calories like being active every day does if you're musky fishing it might yeah, no, not not in Lake Michigan and Kenosha. You just stand there on the shoreline just casting for hours on end, hoping you catch a salmon. Well, you identified something interesting, which is your uh, your frequency might not have changed. And, and I've, I've certainly had this in my life where 
playing basketball a few times a week, maybe join a league, you're doing some bro lifting a time or two a week, and it still feels like you're doing all your hours, but playing has replaced training. And at you're also approaching the time of your life where things are become a little bit more hard gaining in that regard anyway. And and oftentimes we do get a little bit uh, clouded in our judgment by our hours rather than what fills them. Like softball. You can be on your feet for 60 minutes straight and count that as, well, I got an hour of workout in today. No. Or, you know, how much did you really get done? And those are those slippery slopes that... Sometimes you don't realize until it's a little too late that you actually haven't been doing the work you think you're doing. What was it, Bracken? Sure. You, um, I'm wondering if, Tim, if you had one of these moments. You were saying when you, you took a little hiatus, you were in college, you were drinking, you weren't running, you went and took a shower and you looked down and you had like a belly there and you noticed it for the first time and you were like, nope, I need to go running again. It was something like that, correct? Am I getting that right? That exact thing. There was something that was not there prior. And it shocked me out the door. Okay. Well, Tim, I know you had kids coming, just speaking on what Bracken was asking. Was Did you have a moment? Did you have a moment when you were like, this got to change, man? I think probably like the, the few months leading up to that point. I, I mean, it really, really kind of like the thoughts started crossing my mind the, the whole time my wife was pregnant. It was just like at the point where she had the kids that it was like, it's now or never. So, so that was like the, the, the turn the page type situation there. But like, yeah, I mean, when you, when you feel yourself weighing that much and you know, you're putting on pants that don't fit and you're bending over and it's just, just so hard to move. And, and again, I wasn't that, I mean, I, I was heavy, but I wasn't that obese because of how big of a guy I was. So I could still do stuff, but I mean, I think there was just this one day that I, I went and jogged like a mile Cause I'm like, I really need to do something. And it was so brutally hard. It was like a nine 30 pace. And, and I was like, I used to, to do this for a few miles, you know, without, without much effort and, and like stuff like that, it would just be little signs here and there. But, you know, I just had gotten so complacent and comfortable that I didn't do anything about it. Hmm. I was curious. So you were, you were following a line of questioning back and I sort of interjected. Well, really just that. I was curious how you went from college basketball player to 280 before you got it back. And it sounds like it was not all at once. No, it was just a really long, comfortable time. You know, like like one thing would happen and I would shift a little attention here. One thing would happen, you know, even even for a couple of years after I met my wife, I was still playing basketball a couple times a week. Um, but then there was like one day that I went there and got a, a steal at the top of the, the key and took it down to the other side and I was going to dunk it. And, uh, some guy came flying underneath me and undercut me. And, uh, and I hit the ground hard. I thought I tore my ACL, um, just ended up tweaking it, but I, I couldn't walk for like two or three days because of it. I had crutches on just to get around for those couple days. And like that happened. And I was like, it's not even worth playing. It's not worth getting hurt like this. So then I, I don't think I've played in an official basketball game since then. So it's just like something, one little thing would happen and then it would take my one or two days of this out of the picture or, you know, just comfortably over time transition to something else that I was interested in. It was just a little of this, a little of that over a long period of time. You know, 
Joe DeSena has said a lot of wild things throughout his career. He's the founder of Spartan Race, one of the founders. But one of his things that always stuck with me is he says, comfort leads to death. And it's dramatic like everything Joe says, but there's some less dramatic truth in there, which is there's a reason that world champions that remain world champions don't live the lifestyle. They keep themselves uncomfortable. Because when you're uncomfortable... You're a little desperate, and when you're a little desperate, you're a little hungry. When you're a little hungry, you work for things, and you don't stay complacent. And when you, as soon as you're comfortable, you take your foot off the gas a little bit. And we all strive for comfort. That's part of the American dream is to get away from some of that, that tinge of desperation in your life. But now we've gotten so successful in this country at being comfortable that we have to fabricate discomfort in order to work out. Or in order to eat well, like we have to sign up for a, an OCR race or sign up for a, a Ragnar or sign up for whatever it is to go get uncomfortable again. And you just said the word comfort like five times in your rationale why you got to this point. And, and it's just like you're, you were successful. You, you found the girl. You got your job. You got your home. And the net result was I'm way too comfortable. Well, and I mean, it's also like kind of what do you have to strive for? You know, I in college and leading up till then, like it was always like, let's be the best I can at this sport. Let's win the game. Let's win the, the, the conference championship. Let's push for this. Let's do that. And then, you know, even running now, you set your goals. You like, what am I? What's my next goal? What am I doing here? And I, I just kind of got to a point where. You know, I, I didn't have that. And I was always a person pushing hard to get to something. So when that was kind of pulled from under me, because I just didn't have that big target to chase after there, there, there was, I just settled in, you know. Other than your compulsion that you've mentioned a few times, and I think we all have it, right? Let's not kid ourselves here. If we're listening to a running podcast, most of us probably have a, a twinge of it. Um, what do you think it was about running that stuck for you? I mean, running's always intrigued me. I've always done a little bit of it here and there. And even throughout all of my sports, it's always kind of played a role in, you know, my role in that sport. Um, I mean, even back like when I was in like third grade and they made you do like that, that mile run in third grade to see how fast you can do it. And, and my dad will blow the story out of proportion. I think I ran like a, a, a seven thirty mile or something like that, which isn't bad for a third grader, but it's not anything like mind blowing. I think there's some running on like sub six right now, but, um, but my dad will say, tell people I ran like a five thirty mile in third grade. So, so like running, <laughs> running like that, like, like right around that distance range was always like kind of intriguing. And my dad always kind of like pushed me to run laps around the, the block to get better at it. But I went to this little tiny school that didn't even have like a track and field team. It was a really small private school and they, they didn't have a lot of teams, even though like track and field or certain sports are the easiest ones to put on. Cause there's no court or no overhead really needed. They didn't want to pull people from the other sports like basketball or soccer that, you know, they viewed as more important. So like, it was always kind of this little thing dangling in front of me that it's something that like, maybe I could be good at, but I never really had the opportunity to do it. Because it wasn't it wasn't really a, a a thing for me to to be able to do. So, like even in basketball, I, I was terrible at basketball until like 
because I grew so fast and I was long and gangly and uncoordinated. But once all that caught up, like the one thing I always had going for me is I could just run forever. Like I'd full court press the whole game and in the fourth quarter when everyone's dying, like I was still going and just pressing and, and fast breaking the whole time. So like, like soccer, I think I played that just in high school and a little bit in junior high. It was more of like a time filler between baseball and basketball for me. But, um, you know, running, running, running all the time, just cause you're playing soccer, like that helped build it somewhat of an endurance base throughout all of that. And then when I got out of college, like just even while I was lifting and all of that stuff, like I'd still run a couple miles here and there. I had done uh, a couple Ragnars, um, with friends just for fun. I'd never really run more than a 10 K at that point before. Um, and then, uh, I even, uh, I'm trying. I, I actually ran a tough mutter, I think, in 2010, way, way back in the day. But it was just like open wave, and and I probably could have ran the whole thing pretty relatively decently. But I was with someone who walked, jogged most of it, so I was kind of felt like frustrated the whole time because I was just like meandering through this thing instead of pushing myself like like I knew I could. But I've always, always, just kind of had the like what if I had the ability to run some kind of track and field or cross country or something like what could I have done because like I always had a pretty good base throughout all of the sports I played so you know as I started picking it up now it's kind of like seeing like what can I do now that I can do something still no I'm like half satisfied with that answer only because <laughs> only because you decided to start running again and getting in shape and you never stopped. I mean, you're going on 1,600 and some days. Like, not everybody's like, I'm going to make myself healthier. And then they turn into 1,600 and some days later of like, no, I mean, I'll start with three days a week. Or I'll start with, you know, every other day. Or I'll start with this. But if I'm not mistaken, I, I have my timeline correct, right? You literally started running and then just never stopped. Like, Yeah, pretty much. I mean... It was that thing that just just knowing that I had taken so long to like like getting comfortable and not doing stuff that I it initially felt like if I didn't keep going, then I would just stop and not keep going and, and not start back up again. So and I feel like that was that was kind of the part where where after Boston where I kind of started having the realization that like if the streak ended it's not that big of a deal is because I finally feel like on on like a psychological level that I got to the point where like it's ingrained in me enough that I love running so much now that that regardless of you know if I miss a day or not I'm going to still do it whereas before then I was just so so worried that you know if I take a day off I'm just going to not start again and then I'm going to gain a bunch of weight and be lazy and all that again. Yeah. I think you're you're accurate with that, but you're also set up for success now. Because as you described, you were comfortable before, but you had moved and lost your, for lack of a better term, support system. You didn't know your leagues. You didn't have your friends. You didn't have training partners. You were just solo bro lifting, and then you met your wife. Now you have, what, are you, you with the Lakefront Racing Team? Yeah, that's what we call ourselves. I mean, yeah, and you have your training buddies, you have you have systems in place that if you stop a you're not streak dependent anymore. Mm-hmm. You have 
support systems in place. Accountability, all that. Accountability, yeah, it's it's yeah. kind of just like the whole reestablished myself at, at this stage in my life, you know, because there was yeah. such a big transition earlier on during that time period. Well, if I'm an everyman listening, which I kind of am, <laughs> my curiosity is you were 26-minute 5K runner. Now you're running 19 and change per 5K for your marathon. What was the timeline like? Like, how long do I have to expect if I just start running and don't stop? How long can I expect it to take before I start seeing those type of results? I mean, timeline. My timeline is, I mean, a lot of it's going to depend on your training, first of all, obviously. But I mean, for me, my timeline early, early on, it was very, very abrupt and quick because when you have that much of a, a shift in weight, I mean, I, I had probably dropped 35 pounds in the first three to five months. It, it was very quick. So, I mean, as much as, you know, no one really likes getting into the conversation of weight and eating and stuff like that, as it's such a, a, a fine line to, to tread on, um, that does play a big factor. So when all that weight come, came off, you know, paces and, and times went a whole lot faster very quickly. So, like... When I started running seriously and consistently, I started January and I ran in like April, I ran a 145 half marathon and I really wasn't a student of running or really knowing anything about marathon pacing or anything like that. So I just figure, hey, you double double the time, double the distance. So when I run Chicago, my goal is going to be 330. And like a lot of people I had talked to, I wasn't, I I didn't know the people I know now that I'm in running with. It was just random people that I would talk with and they'd be like, there's no way you're going to run your first marathon at a three 30. And I mean, I'm stubborn. So I'm like, yeah, no, I'm going to do it. So I just kept plugging away and, and I ran Chicago, which was, um, October of that year. I ran a three 30, which is, um, and, and I think I weighed around 300 and, 25, 330 pounds or 200, sorry, <laughs> that's moving for a big guy, uh, 200, <laughs> 225, 230 pounds when I ran Chicago. Um, and then the next race was, uh, the next spring I ran, uh, the Wisconsin marathon. And that was, I think in April or May. And, uh, by then I felt like I was actually in shape to run 305, but I felt fantastic after the taper. Still didn't really know much about marathon running and uh, or, or race execution. And I, I blew myself up pretty bad at mile like 18 on that race, 19, and ran like a 315. Um, I probably had made it up to about 305 by then. Um, How long was that after you started running? Uh, about a year and four months. Wow. So I'm, but, but again, I'm, a, I'm, even even with sports, like I trained hard, like I I was doing all the work, following a very strict plan, not missing like any workouts, not missing any of my days. You know, I a lot of people give like streak runners grief for not taking time off, but but you know, a big part of being able to do it is focusing on like your body and and working on like the prehab that you guys talk about all the time. Like if I didn't do the stuff I do, um, and I don't do it enough. Like I'm I I know I don't do it as much as I should. But if I didn't do the, the the amount that I do do, then um, I I 
the streak would have ended a long time ago, you know? Mm-hmm. So, you know, as, as much as, you know, I, I don't take a day off, I I'd still have my rest days. I'll have active recovery days where I'll jog like a, a 10 minute mile, even though I could go out and run a five minute mile hard effort if I wanted to. Um, and so, so I, I get my recovery. I get my rest. I do a lot of prehab stuff. And, uh, but in, in, in that training period, you know, about a year and four months, I, I was working really, really hard and pretty much all of my training up to that point was threading the needle of injury and staying healthy. And, and that's kind of where I got to the point with Boston, where I just pushed my body probably a little too far and was starting to burn out. Were you a, were you a resolutioner? Did you start on January 1st? It wasn't a revolution resolution. I don't believe in resolutions because everyone throws them. What day did you? Start it was. On it tip? was. It was. It was January first. Uh huh. But a, resolution. a day out of a hat just, just happened January first. No, I mean you may be the only person in the world who started something January first, a run streak, and is still maintaining it. Maybe even beyond a year. There's always this thing in the personal training world where everybody thinks that in January, like my email is going to blow up. People are going to be calling off the hook to hire a personal trainer, but a resolutioner isn't somebody who's going to hire a trainer. They're going to try to do it themselves. And then some of them are going to fail and then they're going to hire me in like April or May. That's what always happens. Mm -hmm. So we always kind of joke about resolutioners. We get busy in April and May in the personal training world because the resolutioners find out they, they couldn't figure it out on their own, for example. So I'm not labeling you as a resolutioner. It's just a little ironic that you started something on January 1st and it's lasted four and a half years. Just saying. I, I didn't officially start on January. The streak started on January 1st. So so the the start getting healthy thing really kind of kicked in in like October, November. Um, so I started running a little bit here and there so that come January 1st when I said I'm going to run every day in 2018, like I already had kind of started running at that point. I wasn't, I wasn't doing the streak, but I had kind of started, you know, it's like that whole, like, uh, start establishing the habits. It's going to take so many days to, to do it before it becomes like more natural to you. And you're not just forcing yourself to do it. So I wanted to create that before I started the streak. So the streak itself was a January 1st thing, but the actual, like, let's start, um, you know, changing things around started a couple months before that. Okay. Uh, I'm not a resolutioner. No, you're you're, you're certainly not because you're not following typical resolutioner trends. I just uh, I'll say it. He's a resolutioner. I you call it what you want. I I'll, I'll let it slide. Who really cares what it is, right? Yeah. To be or honest, post a label on this podcast. But I mean, in terms of like the whole progress of everything, though, I mean, very quickly in the beginning when that weight came off, it, it was. Um, it, it, it was very quick results because I wasn't just carrying that much weight. And, and, you know, you always cringe it. Like I, I know myself personally, like I know if I lost a few more pounds, I could run faster, but it, you know, it's that, that whole conversation. Um, like, like for the last few marathons, I've been floating right, right around like two Oh five two ten. I think Boston, I was closer to like two fifteen when I ran it. Um, I, I, had a pretty brutal build for it and it was a hot summer. So I, I kind of didn't do the work that, that I would normally be putting in. Cause I, I let the heat blow up a lot of my workouts, but, um, 
in general, like after that though, it's been just kind of like nickel and diming whatever I can get on top of, of what I've cut down already. So, so, you know, I, I know that there's like the dad tax stuff and the extra beers, you know, I'm starting to try to cut those things out to, to try to get the next little bit out of myself, but no major changes. I'm not going to like try to drop 20 pounds or anything like that from here. It's going to be all little, little increments and see how I feel as I make adjustments to, to everything. I, I think the, uh, the best, uh, the best attention grabbing headline we could use would just be like Tim Lambiris when a new year's resolution lasts five years. I think we could get more <laughs> clicks. What do you think, Bracken? Do you mind, Tim? No, I don't care I'm, I'm joking. I'm joking. I think we're going to start going a real clickbaity. <laughs> yeah. You won't believe what happens in minute 20. <laughs> <laughs> um, Tip, um, I want you, because uh, Bracken led us into where I wanted to go with this, Bracken. You tend to do that from time to time. And it is like actionable things that people listening can do. And Bracken asked a really good question about the timeline. Um, if you had to give advice to somebody somewhat in your position, you know, four and a half years ago, like I want to be healthier, whatever the reason is for, I want to start running. Like what are some, some advice you could give those people, maybe mistakes that you've learned the hard way along the way or any of that? Like, what would you, what would you give the person who's in contemplation right now? Uh, the, the, there are a couple things I would probably say most is first of all, you just have to start you know, you, you, you can't get anywhere if you don't eat, start the trip, you know? So, so if you have the goal, you just have to do it. You know, you can't keep coming up with excuses. You just have to, to bite the bullet and, and, and start. Um, the, the other biggest thing, and, and I know I said like this earlier, like with the whole like run club, the whole social aspect side of it, like me and my buddies need to take it a little bit further than that, but you need, you need accountability, you know? Um, the, the first year, like as much as I, I was doing the work in my training and all of that, it was, it was a lot of very, very lonely miles. Um, and so I ended up, I mean, I wouldn't know all my running buddies if it wasn't from me going to a, one of the more social running groups, because, you know, I, I just put the feeler out there, ran with a couple of them in the area, met a couple people. And then before long, I was able to connect with people that were like around similar abilities as me. And I, I had people to do it with. Um, I, I feel like, you know, especially, you know, at this point in our lives, like a lot of people get so consumed with like everything going on in life and, and they put like friendships and, um, everything else to the side. And I, I feel like that, that connection that I have with my group of running buddies, um, you know, we, we hold each other accountable, you know, people get hurt, but you know, you got, it's time for you to get back on the bandwagon. You can't just can't sit there loathing in your, in your own pain or whatever. Um, so having the accountability there to, you know, when you're, when you're, you're not doing what you need to, 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 to get your goals, like, and have somebody else to push you, like, that's very important. So you're saying, don't be a lone wolf. If you're trying to start yeah. this thing out, like it's okay to reach out. Or help or... yeah and it might take you a little bit to be comfortable you know a lot of like like i put my thing as imposter syndrome that's because like i don't know didn't know why you guys would really want me on here but at the same time when i started running like i didn't really consider myself a runner i felt like you know to go to go uh run with all these runners it felt like you know maybe i, I won't fit in or maybe i i'll be an idiot or a fool or something like that or so, so a lot of people like are reserved about doing stuff and you, if you don't ever branch out and, and try to get connected with people doing similar stuff that what you're trying to do, then you're not going to have that extra encouragement. You're just always going to be doing it by yourself. 
what else? I had something else too that I was thinking. I I can't remember because I took so long with that answer. But um, well, I do agree with you on this. Like, and we've I think Brack and we've talked about this with somebody else. I don't remember who it was about like glorifying the grind and waking up at the crack of dawn by yourself and slipping your running shoes on and going out and you know sorting through your own thoughts and it's an internal thing and we like to lone wolf it. And man, does that gig wear old eventually? And eventually having something to look forward to or a time on your calendar in which you're meeting somebody like having those little checkpoints throughout the week, even if it's once a week or once every other week, like holds you to it, especially if the habit hasn't been developed yet. And I think the lone wolf mentality of distance running is far, far, far overrated. Just my opinion. But I mean, so many people just fall into that just because of life and how they can fit their runs in. And it's so easy to settle into that. And I mean, now I've now that I'm running with my my guys, it's it's like our our Sunday long runs, our thing, you know, it's once a week. But but we have like a a little Facebook chat and we're talking basically all day long every day, most days, you know, throughout the workday. So it's, it's not just the having people to grind with, but it's just like having close relationships with people who have similar goals to you. You know, if if nobody you're around is is pursuing something similar to you, then then you're not going to have the influence to want more of your own goals and your own self. So it's just having that not only accountability, but but even when you're dropping off, seeing them still doing it makes you want to do it more. If if none of your friends are, are doing anything that that you want with yourself, then then why do you really keep them around? You know, what good are you doing me? I mean, I hope I hope none of those friends are listening. <laughs> but I mean, I've I've always been a pretty. I, I'm I, I I've always been a pretty. Uh, I'm I'm not the most social person on the planet. I I tend, it, despite seeing like a, a Instagram post every single day of me wearing really tight short shorts regular basis. Uh, I look you know, I don't to it. I don't I don't do a whole lot to go out of my way to you know to to be friends with everybody to talk with everyone. I'm very, a person who's comfortable with my small circle. So, you know, being alone will scrape, but having a couple people in your corner definitely makes the fight easier. I think it's tough for the average person. Again, the every man, the person who probably wouldn't have gone out for cross country in high school because it's for nerds and girls don't care about it. You know, that person or the woman who's like, I wouldn't go out for track because there's just so many random people there and I don't want to run around in spandex. You know, that type of person isn't inclined to join a running group. You know, whether they're doing it because they don't want to be around people or they're doing it because they think that it's just not going to be my type of people. They're avoiding doing the social part of running because of whatever preconceived notion or how uncomfortable or weird it's going to be. And the reality is the cross-section of runners as adults is the same cross-section of any part of society like you're going to have some people who are weird and obsessed about it you're going to have some people who are super egotistical and just obsessed with being fast but the middle section of the road is going to be filled with a lot of people like you and it's worth taking the leap into a few of these groups if for no other reason than to meet that one person who can become your sunday long run partner you're not going to have to join the group forever and you may not like the first group you get into but you probably didn't like your first job or your first boyfriend or girlfriend, but you eventually, it led you to the one you're supposed to be with. And that's how running is. Like we just assume there's no one out there like me, but there's a whole bunch of us who were 
something else other than a runner and found it for whatever reason we found it for. And the only way to find those other really normal people who just want to go for a run and get their workout in and have a couple good laughs along the run, they're out there. The only way to find them is to actually just take that first little step. Yeah, I mean, for me, it was literally just a, a post on Facebook. I I was grinding for that Phoenix race, um, and I, I was getting kind of burnt out, and I really just didn't want to do a long run, a 20-miler by myself. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I went to the, the local run club group, and I, I put a post on there. I'd run a, a couple times with them in the past, never really met anyone, but I just put a post up like, hey... I'm running this run at this pace. Is there anybody out there that can hang with me? Because I, I, I mean, I found myself in this unique area where there weren't many people that could run that fast. And then there's like the next group of people are running faster than me. So I'm in this like no man's land running by myself all the time at the paces I was chasing. So I just put it on the post on their Facebook thing. And they were like, I had one guy who who replied and he's like, hey, there's a group of us. We're running right around this pace on Sunday instead of the regular group run Saturday. Come down, run with us, and and uh, you know if you can hang, great. If not, you know, no no big deal. And uh, so I showed up. I just I was like, okay, I don't know any of these people. It sounds like a, a few guys like my age that are are chasing something similar to me. And so let's see how it goes. And I I went out on a limb and and it just worked out really well. Any uh. Yeah, and it was the same thing with us. I'm I'm not someone who wants to naturally meet new people. If I'm in a social setting, I'm very comfortable with that. But I don't seek social settings out. And we've talked about this on this podcast before. You know, when you messaged me and said you want to do this longer, and it was like every part of my inner being said, you don't know this guy. Why would you want to go spend 17 miles when you could just do it yourself and maybe listen to an audiobook? You know, that's the, that's that person who just doesn't want to... Mm-hmm. take a chance and for i would hope for both of us we're very glad we did that you know but but it went against my internal being which says don't go meet another runner that's weird yeah well and i i feel like like the kind of by then i'd already been listening to you for quite a while on the podcast i knew you were in the area i knew you ran a lot of stuff nearby um i knew you were just getting back into it so you weren't as fit as you normally were <laughs> so i felt like the odds of like me going full effort would line up with you going at a comfortable pace for where you were in your training. So I was just like, you know what, why not? He runs trails. And that was another thing too, is like, I've made this shift kind of more towards trails lately. And, uh, most of my running buddies say they won't even put a pair of trail shoes on. They're, they're pretty set on the roads and and are too worried about rolling an ankle or something like that. Got a couple of them that'll, will do a little bit here and there, but it's, it's hard. Like on that level on the roadside, it's hard to find people, but then when you bring it onto the trails, it's even almost harder because fewer people run trails than people run roads. So I felt like like if I if I want to have someone even remotely close to to keep me on track for like good solid paces or or to to be able to spend time that many miles running, then I had to reach out to you. I like felt like I I didn't have any other choice really. Well, I'm glad you did, and I'm glad I said yes, but. It wasn't either of our first choices mm-hmm. for like comfort level. Yeah, no, for sure. On the flip side of the coin, I feel like oftentimes like, oh, they run and I run and we're somewhat around the same pace. It's going to be a match made in heaven. And like, well, 
you know, like if you're running with Bracken for two hours, you're going to be forced into a two hour conversation with that person. <laughs> Are you saying I'm a chatty runner? <laughs> do you want to, would you even want to chat with that person for two hours? Meaning like, like there's more than just like ability levels that do need to be taken into consideration when finding a good running partner. Like there's a fluidity to the right running partner. And sometimes you gotta, you gotta kiss a few frogs before you find your prince. <laughs> Right in the in the running sense. That's not a bachelor line. I don't know. <laughs> I've never said that before. I swear. No, but I feel like I've heard that somewhere. Well, yeah, like an old relic, right? I'm saying uh, someone's confessional during the episode I watched. But point being, like, yeah, like people assume, oh, my friend runs. You should run with them. You're like, well, there's also like some other factors to make something like really work too, right? Right. So it's understandable that we like sometimes have these lone wolf tendencies because I've gotten together with people like off of a suggestion or not knowing and then be like, I don't, I don't think so. Like, I don't think I'm going to do that again. Right. So there's both sides to that coin. We should have an episode one time, maybe a training Tuesday of, uh, just running like first date horror stories. Like five minutes into this run, this person was trying to convert me to whatever religion, you know, that (laughs) kind of thing. (laughs) Yeah. I've had some weird ones, which I'm sure everyone does. So that, that we, we've had a request for, poop episodes and <laughs> this might be another one of awkward running encounters i'm sure there's plenty no, of stories sure. out there yeah well and that's prob- that's probably why we hesitate towards accepting like run dates because it's not like you can just oh yeah you know i've i gotta get going it's like you're out on this road <laughs> you're out and there you're, you're with them until you get back your only option is to drop them well you guys said the equivalent of of like a blind mandate, like he might as well ask you to go get coffee. Like it's the same sort of yeah. like intimacy. Like you share a run with somebody, like you're sharing something about yourself with somebody. So that's like one man asking another man on a very straight level to go get coffee. And you're like, I don't know you. I don't want to get coffee yeah. with you. That's a hard thing to say yes to. I think by then, I think by then we had kind of already chatted online back and forth on comments yeah. a few times and i think i we we did that race that that mile um yeah the down in summer so like we'd race. met like briefly while while yeah. we were suffering in the 100 degree heat um but by I me mean, for the most part i'd already been listening to you guys for like i think like a year by then so at least so so i had a, a feeling for him you know at least in terms of that kind of stuff but um not not that kind of feelings but a feeling for like <laughs> no, no judgment here but but he could sure talk though that's for sure and handsome i think so. he he's he's like basically the perfect long run buddy because he can talk so much so like like i i i don't talk a whole lot for the most part so so when you're getting like those the two three hour marks of runs and he's just jabbering and you're suffering <laughs> it, it makes it go by a lot faster i, I will say bracken the last time we got together for a run at um granite peak we we went for three hours together, but that first two hours was the fastest two hours of a run that I've had gone by in recent time. And I don't think, I don't think you took a breath or I did. And that's, and that's why it was fantastic. It was constant conversation. You got lost in the run and pretty soon two hours was up. And I was like, no way that would go as fast if, if that wasn't the case. And when we've had real workouts to do together, we get to business. Of course we haven't, we don't sit there and jabber. Then it's like time to work, but, and those, 
That's not true. Uh, he 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 wrecked me on my birthday one year uh, <laughs> because we did the lake the lake path in Lake Geneva because I grew up right out that area too. So I, I've usually on my birthday I'll run the lake path every year and then do an add on to run however many k's for the year of my birth or whatever. Um, and he he said he'd meet me there and and we were talking like we got halfway around the lake and and you know it just flies by because you're chit chatting and everything and and i didn't realize like the pace we were actually carrying the whole time and and like got halfway through it and i was just wrecked like the whole the whole second half of the lake was just absolute misery and and it was like only the second or third time we'd ever run together and i was like man I've fallen every time we've ran together. I've, uh, I'm blowing up on this run. Like this guy's never going to want to run with me again. <laughs> if you think that, if you think that listening to like our podcast helps a run go by fast, like go for a run with the man himself in the flesh. It'd be a fast, it'd be the fastest perceived run of your recent existence. I got to thank Lisa. Early on in our relationship, she told me that she prefers me to talk when she's having a tough run. And I'm the opposite. If I'm struggling, I want you to shut up and stay away from me. <laughs> just let me die alone. But she's always like, just just talk. Just fill the space. And over the years, I've developed the ability to fill some run space. It's not the easiest thing to do. I generally ask someone early on, like, hey, are you the type that wants talking or no talking when we're running? And if they say talking, pfft can't put that back in the bag <laughs> it really isn't the easiest thing to do either i mean i i voluntarily decided i was going to try to pay someone for a hundred mile well the the last like good chunk of a hundred mile race like about a month ago now and uh they uh like like when you're when you're doing that long of a race the the miles are very slow and you're out there for a very very long time and, and that actually kind of took me way out of my comfort zone because like when you're when it's that long, it's just so hard to to think of stuff to talk about. So there are a lot of long, awkward, quiet silences and and watching a guy suffer that I never met before. So <laughs> that was definitely interesting. Tim got the full ultra experience, and I'll let you tell it. But I'm going to give the cliff notes here. He offered to pace. Our guy asked for someone to pace them who he'd never met before, and he said, "I'll pace you. I've been. I'm interested in the ultra scene." The guy talked about the fitness he'd built up, talked about his goal pace for 100. Tim prepared to be able to do that for him, showed up at like 9 or 10 p.m. to pick him up to take him through his last 36 or 38 miles or whatever it was. And the guy DNF before he got to that aid station <laughs> because he hadn't put in the work and wasn't prepared to hold that pace and then cracked. So Tim picked up a new guy and just offered to pace him the rest of his way. So he got like the did, entire ultra experience wrapped in the <laughs> Did you get like a courtesy text or call from this guy letting you know he dropped? Yeah, no, I mean, it, okay. it was, it was, it was all planned. He had like his crew there with him, like his wife and his friend. And, and they, they met me at like the main station. And then we rode together out to where I was supposed to start with him. And he ended up, I mean, he was still on track to get there and he ended up DNFing like one station away. So it wasn't like it was something where he had DNF'd and just not told me and I showed up. Like I was ready, waiting, fully dressed, ready to go. Just as soon as he gets here, we're going. And it was one station away that he dropped. So um, luckily that like, I mean, when you're 100K into a 100 mile race, there's a lot of people that are that are suffering. And, and I was out there and I was just like, you know, I could 
I, I still got to get my run in. I haven't run yet today, and I I counted on this starting at like eight nine o'clock at night, carrying me through the next day. The one run would get me both days knocked off my run streak. Um, and I'm like, I, I still got to at least get my run in. So I jogged the little distance to like the uh, the main hub where they did like the start finish and hundred k mark. Got my run in just in case somebody didn't need help. And then I was just there talking to a pile of people that were really cool. Like got to got to meet other people who were pacing and and talk about them about their hundreds and fifties that they've ran before. And it was just like overall got the whole experience of being part of like that world. And then um saw a guy come through solo. He had no no real crew with him or anything like that. I was like, hey, you want any company for the rest of your race? And he's like, yeah, I need it. And, and then next net next eight hours or so was, was through the night. And, and it was all, all the darkest, deepest, like worst part of the race too, because it was starting in the dark, going through to sunrise, right. in like the, the, the wee hours of the morning when it was like the most depressing probably for him. And, and I got, I got to witness him go to some pretty deep, dark places. I think. <laughs> How did you feel that out? That would be a very tough, situation to assess out in the moment like what this guy needs that you don't know because some people need you to distract them like bracken said and some people need you to shut the hell up and just be there just your presence is all they really want well how did you assess that out i mean during the during the beginning he was obviously in in happier moods and, and feeling pretty good um so so we got through like all the initial introduction who are you and and get to know each other a little bit type stuff um and then, and then I just was just asking questions about, you know, how does this feel? Do you want to do this? Do you want to, you know, pick up the pace a little bit? Or do you want to hike here? Um, to get a feel early on while he was still, like, feeling fresh of what worked for him and what made, made things, like, better. Um, and then I just was keeping an eye on during those times, like, what he'd do during the stations that we'd stop at. So, like, later on when it was, like, really dark and there were certainly points where like didn't really have much to talk about and I could see that it was getting dark for him. And, and there were stretches where I just, just decided not to talk. I I don't know. I, it was just like, I didn't know what to talk about, but I felt like talking about something wouldn't just randomly wouldn't help. And it just felt, felt better to not talk. So I didn't. And I let him go to his place and he did his thing. And then, then there was like, just this like, one instance where we stopped and he kind of like snapped out of it a little bit. And I'm like, okay, well, we're going to pick up the pace a little bit here. I could just see like in his, in his, you know, you just have to pay attention to them, I guess, to, to get a feel for some of that. But then once the sun came up, it was like, a, he became a whole different human being. You know, those, those three hours before the sun came up were pretty, pretty miserable looking. I mean, I felt great, but <laughs> I was, I was only like 20 miles in. He was, he was, you know, 80 90 <laughs> that's a tough situation and and it's it's hard like you were on a first date you had three different first dates you had speed dating right at first like get to know you got five minutes first mile you get to know everything about their background you get all the nuts and bolts and then you get into bad date territory where like no one's saying anything and you probably don't both want to be there <laughs> that much and then eventually you got through it and it's like ah, oh, we just it was, you're stuck on a long date, and by the end of it, you guys really bonded or whatever. But that's that's a tough situation to be in, because if you talk to any random runner, you're gonna get like th- their love language of when it's going bad. Like I don't I don't know Kirk's 
I don't know your like when it gets bad. Let's say we were crewing each other for a race, a bad, a long race, and it gets bad. I wouldn't know what kind of love language Kirk needs. Kirk, what is your, what do you respond to and what do you detest when you are in a tough situation? Small talk out the window. Gone. Oh, I don't give a shit what you ate for breakfast or what shoes you're wearing. I would be like, I either need you to get on my butt and be like, come on, you little biatch. Like, let's do this thing. Like, rile me up, make me get, like, feel something or just be quiet. (laughs) I just, so can we suffer together, please? Like, that's what I would probably want. Once in a while, offer something like, hey, do you need anything? Can I do anything for you? Like, just show you're there. But I'd either want you to be on my butt or just, like, supportive, but let me dictate conversation. What are you, Tim? What? I, I don't know if I've ever gotten to that point. I mean, you, you're probably experienced it the most on marathon. that lake run. It's a middle of a marathon. You're hitting the wall or it's getting real. What do you want to hear from, from the sidelines? What do you want if someone jumped in to run with you? What would you want from them? And what would you not want? Uh, it depends on the the kind of wreck you're feeling at that point, I think. I mean, in a marathon, it's, there, there's a couple of different feelings you can feel. Like, uh, I, I don't know. Like, like when, I, when, when, when I was wrecked on the lake path with you, like just having you there talking and keeping me up when I felt like complete trash, like actually helped a lot. But like, if you had done that the same way at Boston when I blew up there, I probably would have been pissed at you for talking. So I, I think it's all very situational too. In, in the moment, like something like an ultra, that's a whole different world than than even that that marathon when you're when you're in, in that point. Um, you know, my my second marathon in in Kenosha where I where I didn't hit, I got that three fifteen and I didn't hit the three oh five. Like I probably would have been good there having that conversation with you, um, just having that motivation to keep going. But I was so wrecked in Boston that I would have just, you know, I had certain goals for myself and and it blew up really bad. So so like at that point, there's a, more of like an emotional attachment to that. So so hearing that talking probably would have really bothered me. Mm-hmm. What about you, Bracken? What about you, sir? I'm the same through every a 400 meter dash to a <laughs> what I assume a 40 hour race to having to do an unpleasant task I cannot stand when people sugarcoat things to me like just tell me so I want hard truths and optimistic facts and that's it you are slowing down <laughs> if you cut 5 seconds off per mile you can catch them I don't want to hear you look great I don't want to hear come on it'll get better I just want black and white facts and truths and they can be negative or they can be positive but i don't want spins mm-hmm. when i was like seven mm-hmm. we had a job shoveling our neighbor's sidewalk and driveway and they were old and every time it snowed my dad would come into the room and he'd be like hey guys uh you know just a real light dusting of snow this morning it's probably only and I'd, every time i was like just tell us if we have to shovel or not <laughs> i don't want to hear it's, it's easier it's, it's it's great it's fine just tell me there's shoveling to be done or not and that hasn't changed one ounce throughout a race. If it's going bad, just tell me facts. Tell me numbers. But what about the amount of conversing? Like, do you want to be distracted with what I had for breakfast? Or would you rather suffer in silence? See, I think the sting, I think the intensity of the sting 
is is this the sole indicator if i'm if it's an intense race and it's stinging hard like ple- like i'm not gonna silence yes. but if it's a long grindy one and it's pretty soon you want company and you're five six seven hours into something totally different ball game yep. yeah in the middle of workout interval workouts downstairs i'm so crabby kids will come downstairs and i'll be like i, I can't deal with you right now i'm doing a workout <laughs> like i don't care if your tablet's not working figure i tell them figure it out so many times during my workout you just have to figure it out and then after i was like i'm upstairs and like hey i'm sorry you know and i'm not i'm not nasty or mean but i always just don't listen you got to go figure it out but yeah i think during a long grindy run commiserate with me let's get through it together but don't sugarcoat a thing with and some people need to be sugarcoated they need to be lied Mm to hey you look great and it's going to get better. And they'd say, you know what? It might. And I'd be like, you're lying to me. Shut up. I'm dying. <laughs> I think it depends on the sting. Like, like, yeah. like Kirk was saying, like, yeah, like, like it was perfect on the lakefront when, when you were chatting, it worked great. But you know, after Boston, when I was wrecked, like I would have been pissed. You know, so many people say Yancey is just the most positive, bubbly, best coach you could ever have on course. And I always think he does something I can't do because I can't be that for you because <laughs> I can't accept that. So I could never be that. I could never just look at you and just tell you you're a cyborg when I see you crumbling. But Yancey can do that and he can make you mean it. I can't do that. Mm. Tim, any um, as we work on wrapping this deal up, um, any uh, anything else, any advice? We got detracted from that question as far as you okay, You said find some running partners and um and that was helpful for you in the beginning. Anything else to get you over the initial hump? If somebody's starting this all, anything else that comes to mind? If there's nothing, there's nothing, of course. But um, what do you think? You just have to set the goals. I mean, like like outside of getting started, like if you don't have some kind of goal you're, you're reaching for, like write it down, tell people about it. I mean, probably. What do you mean by that? Like a, like an, like a, a, a tangible goal, like metrics, like I want to run this fast or I want to lose this weight. Like what kind of goal is important? It depends on why you're doing it. I mean, for me, initially it was weight loss. Then it turned into like, let's run this half marathon. Then it turned to like, let's run this marathon this fast. So, I mean, it, whatever whatever the goal is at that point, you have to write write it down and tell people about it. Now, I mean, like, like my whole Instagram account and all that kind of stuff started because just so I could put it somewhere, you know, write it down. And, and I've never been a big, like, do a running journal type. I know you guys preach on it. I, I don't do like a, a, a paper running journal, but I do track every single run I do. It's all on some kind of app somewhere. Um, but then like on most of my posts, I'm usually putting like how my run went that day. So like Instagram kind of started as my, my running journal um, and just putting it out there for people to see because before I really had my big group of people, like I said, I felt like if I put it out there, I had to do it. So starting and then putting your goals out there so that, that you can hold yourself accountable to them and then, you know, find people to help you stay accountable for it. I think that's a great one stating what you plan to do so that anybody who decides to latch onto it can help you stay accountable along the way, proclaiming your intention so people follow up with it. Even if they pretend to care, it's enough. It really is. That's a that's a that's good advice. And even if it's, I mean, you hear of other people like uh, writing it down, like writing it on in lipstick on their their mirror in their bathroom or something like that. Like there's pro runners that do that. Like whatever it is, like just just writing it down and, and seeing it and visualizing it, you know, 
it, if you're if you're not putting it down there, you can't focus on it. Well, as far as advice goes, this is something I've wanted Tim actually to come on and talk about for a while, even though it's a small piece. It's a piece that we can't provide. And that is shoe recommendations for the heavier runner, for the bigger runner. Because I love talking shoes, but I also preach you can't wear what I wear because it only works for me. And I've been lighter, I've been heavier, but it's always heavier for me. Like Kirk and I can only speak to our weight class and below. We don't know how it feels above us. And that is a weakness. Like the thing we don't know is always a weakness to us. So you started at 280, you're down to low 20, 210-ish. So shoes feel different to you than they feel to us. And one of the questions I always get from people is, as a bigger runner, what should I look for in a shoe? And often it comes down to, are super shoes going to be even more beneficial to me because will the carbon fiber help carry my weight better? And does the super foam, does that help me? What is the best foam for a bigger runner, someone with a bigger frame or excess weight? And I can't answer those, and I want you to. I'll try to answer it the best for me, um, yeah. <laughs> obviously, because um, there's, like you even just said in your own shoe episode the, the last one like there's so many different shoes designed for different even stride lengths and stride types and stuff like that so it's not just you know this shoe or that shoe it's like how does that apply to you as an individual um i mean i found that the plusher the shoe is under my weight the worse it is for me um and, and there's kind of Describe finding the ba- what plush means for well you. yeah so so there's kind of finding that balance like you've got like if you were to take for example like all these new super shoes coming out for for marathon distance we'll just stick with nike because that's what i know know best in terms of you know experience in the shoes but like if you take the alpha fly and, and put it on my foot that's got a serious stack height on it um then you go to the vapor fly which is a little bit less of a stack height on it and then you can go to whatever your regular trainers are below that. I, I didn't mess with like the streak flies or anything like that. But but I found that like the vapor fly for my own weight is kind of like fills pretty much any race from a mile up to a marathon. Um, if if I go into something like the Alpha Fly, like I feel fantastic in it. I've popped some really awesome hill workouts for sixteen miles and just felt amazing in them. But I found that the more I run in something like the Alpha Fly, I really quickly start to have like heel issues. Um, and, and I have a feeling that that because of the amount, I, there's no science behind this, this is just my opinion, but um, I have a feeling that the amount of the compression that the foam gets under my weight is just makes the, the foam respond differently to me than it would to somebody that's significantly lighter. So, so the energy return that I get from something like the Vaporfly, which doesn't compress as much, and I get more feedback from the road on it, I feel like helps me helps me like hit what I. It's just like the right feel on my foot. So like I'll I'll do I'll run some workouts on Alpha Flies, but I usually won't take them much longer than like a fourteen to sixteen mile run anymore. I, I ran Boston in my Alpha Flies, and I'm wondering if like that's why I felt so wrecked afterwards. Um, like like I literally physiologically felt wrecked in my legs for like two months after Boston, and I wonder if it was just because of wearing the like additional of wearing those shoes for that long and running that hard. Mm-hmm. So, um, so if you had the option for a light, airy, squishy shoe or a more dense cushion shoe but with a bit more firm cushioning you would choose that one 
I would choose the vapor fly over the alpha fly. Um, same with like daily running. I have um, like for comparison, like the invincibles and the infinity runs. The invincible is the uh, zoom X, no carbon plate, just solid cloud on your foot. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. If for me, like some people will go out there and just pop all kinds of runs and I'm saying they can do pretty much everything, but I feel like I can only run like eight thirty to nine minute pace in them. Cause if I start pushing really hard, the foam just compresses too much without the support of the extra plate in it. Um, you give me the infinity run, which is a more dense foam. Um, is react? yeah, it's react. It's, it's react. It's firmer. It's more dense. It's a heavier shoe, but it just finds this decent balance of like, protection from the road responsiveness off of it it doesn't compress and my body just feels better after running in it so i'll and pick what those is the response to the react in the lighter runners it's they say it's a dead foam dead foam and it's heavy yeah, yeah. and and honestly i i think i like the react in the pegasus better than i like it in the infinity run um but but i feel like like a lot of people give Nike a lot of crap on their trail shoes because saying they haven't figured out their traction, which I think they've kind of figured out for their next few shoes coming out. I'm kind of intrigued by, by what we might see coming out here in the near future, but, um, their, their wild horse and the Pegasus trail have, uh, react foam soles to them. And I feel like the react foam on a trail is fantastic. Um, it might be heavier than some other shoes, but, but, mix that with the softness of the ground and and i it's the most comfortable long distance shoe i've ran in um i'll take that for a long distance over any of my other trail shoes probably so it sounds like like you would think like a a big runner would naturally assume that a big plus shoe would be the right choice for them but in fact it may give a little too much and feel like it's restrictive almost yeah because that's what the assumption is let's go get the beefiest shoe i can find run on the biggest cloud i can put under my foot and that's going to be the right choice but you're saying not necessarily yeah i mean i feel like a, a big part of running is your connection with the ground and when when you know you have that much coming between you and the ground are are you um, you know, what, what happens to your biomechanics and if you're those bio, those biomechanics of those shoes are designed around the elite runner, basically there, that's the one giving them the feedback. So if you're a big person, how, how is wearing that shoe affecting your biomechanics compared to how it would affect someone who's lighter. And for me personally, I've just found that I feel better when I don't do a lot of miles in high plus shoes. So you actually are more concerned about the type of foam than the stack height with a lot of these. I just want to, I need to have the right feel of responsiveness with the ground. I, I, I feel like, like I've, I used to pump out miles when I was 235, 245 pounds. You have a pair of pink ones behind you, the zoom streak, um, I, I put out probably 500 plus miles in my, my zoom streaks like i put in miles and miles and miles at a very heavy weight firm shoes with very little cushion and and a ton of ground feel so you know once i've started building the mileage up you know you need a little bit more protection from the ground so you don't destroy your body but it's it's finding that balance between the the cushion the feel with the ground and and the responsiveness of the foam 
you know, I, I don't know if I've quite found found the perfect foam yet. I feel like to me, somewhere between like a Zoomax and a, a React would be perfect. That makes sense. Because I naturally would tell people to gravitate towards, you know, a Clifton or, or something with a big stack height and good amount of cushion. But I suppose the process doesn't change. It's finding your your type. And, and like Hoka shoes, I've found the majority of their road shoes just the the foam is too squishy like it, it has that cushion but under my weight it just squishes down and gives me nothing back so it feels like it's absorbing a lot of the effort i'm putting into my running and i'm already putting a lot of effort out there because you know i'm, I'm heavier and I'm, I'm putting a lot of force into the ground so i want every ounce of that force i can to benefit me instead of being take away from me that makes sense mm-hmm. i see why you two get along so well with this <laughs> talk i'm hearing he's he's tried every shoe i've ever wanted to try you know he's we are kindred spirits here hey i've i've put as many on my feet as you you've been doing it a lot longer i i i have put a lot of uh pumas nikes and hokas on my feet but that's most of my limitations you got two new ones on your wall behind you i see bracken speaking of which three three i I saw those adidas are those i can only see two Oh, I can't see that on my screen. Ooh. Asics uh, magic speed, actually. Nice. I decided that I deserved new shoes coming off surgery, getting back into running. So I got a new racer, a new tempo shoe, and a new long run shoe. You deserve it with all those miles you're going to be running. Yeah. Yeah, I have some pretty specific things in mind that I want to do, and maybe this is... uh, being a a resolutionist but it's always easier to do when i've got a new shoe to start my new training block i like it good way to get out of a funk that's right Mm -hmm. buy a cute new outfit yeah cute new outfit you know what the key is gonna be Hmm. partners running partners kirk come on up some of my best runs have come with you guys in the past year or two because i don't ever run with people other than lisa and i generally have terrible runs with lisa because i only run with her on my recovery days that's just the way it ends up working out so you feel like crap one of us does either she feels terrible and i'm clicking or i feel terrible and she's clicking your wife is is speedy when you come back you might not be able to keep up with her for the first few weeks (laughs) no she's the fastest runner in the family right now (laughs) yeah she's quick i watch her on strava she's got some legs on her tim i don't know if if you had anything on your on your plate you brought today that you wanted to get to but I feel like all in all, we touched upon it today. What do you have? Yeah, I mean, I don't really have anything crazy left to uh, to add to the the mix. I mean, what's next for you? Uh, the the next race I'm doing, I'm gonna do the Dances with Dirt half marathon here in um, a couple of weeks. I'm a few weeks out from that in July. Um, I've done most of my run build towards that, and then. Uh, Shortly after that, I'm going to do a quick recovery and then do some sharpening stuff for Asheville because I've kind of left some of the uh, the running public strength plan stuff at the wayside while I've been running more lately. <laughs> so I, I need to get some of that Shame stuff. on you. <laughs> Got to get some of that stuff back in um, to the mix so that I'm kind of like uh, sharpening the, the tip there for, for Asheville. Um and just going to go out there and give it my best. Again, it's only number two for, for races like that. So, so we'll see what happens. Maybe I won't step on the rope this time or, or, you know, slip off the Z wall like I did in Jacksonville. That, that was a muddy mess, but 
You'll find something new to do. I'll find something new, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but but then, uh, that's really only real races I have planned so far this year. I'm, I'm probably going to hop in a pile of other things on my own anyways. But then I, I plan on running like a, a trail marathon in fall. Are you doing the 4th of July run? Uh, not probably this year. I okay. usually I have to go to two family things on Fourth yeah. of July, but last year my mom was sick, so so I was able to do it. And what's your total count on marathons? Because you're under your second OCR race, but what's your marathon count? I've only ran five marathons. Well, that's only five more than us. But I've stretched it mm-hmm. out over you know, the first few years. I only ran two, uh, one a year, and then I did like one year with two races in it. So I, I've kind of a lot of people try to get two or more marathons in a year. And I feel like, you know, anything over two is crazy because you just need your body to recover and then you need the time to do the cycle. But, um, I still have marathon goals. I mean, I'm not completely away from the roads. I, I plan on finishing all of the, the six stars. If I can get into the, the Abbott races, um, I've done Boston, I've done Chicago, um, trying to get, uh, if I can't get into the lottery, I need the 255 to get guaranteed entry to New York, um, but everything else, like the other ones, Americans can't get guaranteed entry into the other, uh, races. So it's all lottery luck to get into Tokyo and in London and Berlin. So, well, take us out with a prediction because you, you said you've got to put your goals out there into the world. So what is your, your marathon goal that you can die a happy man? If this is on your resume, oh man, die a happy man. I, I, the next goal is definitely beating the 255, but that's that's just I I knew I could have done that in at a different race. You're in hedging the fin- your bets. I know, I know, I know. Uh, I I think I can go to sub 250. I mean, again, it's going to be finding the balance of you know fine tuning the weight because um, because it's it's really abusive to put in that many miles and run that hard at at or the weight that I'm even goal? at. I said two fifty. I said sub two fifty. You said I think I could. Well, I mean, it really comes down like like my my interest is veering more towards trails lately, so it's hard for me to really want to focus in on a, a marathon goal. Like right now, the the goal is to do sub two fifty five, but in in terms of you know, do I really want to keep pounding out marathons on the roads for faster times, like? If I'm chasing other things that are more interesting to me than, you know, that side goal of finishing the six stars, like, yeah, I'm going to train to be my best at them, but, but is that the goal for that or is it just completing them now? So, you know, grinding and grinding and grinding on the roads is what's led me to enjoying time on the trails more. So I don't know if I'll really have those same road goals anymore going forward, but when I run those races, I'm still going to train hard and push for it. That makes sense. That's a fair answer. And Kirk, I'm not going to let you off the hook yet. Hmm. Did you see uh, Grandma's marathon results? Dude, people flew. It was a fast year. So fast. They had great weather. It was like 50 degrees. I read a guy's recap who went 223 for a PR, and he said he took like 46th or something like that, <laughs> or 51st. Or... Well, I know a guy who took who ran 232 took 112th. Yeah. <laughs> Wild. Do you regret not trying to jump in there? After my recent workouts, yes, a little bit I do. <laughs> I told you to do the marathon. I know it's easy to say. Well, you chased the ultra. I mean, I, it's intriguing, but you're still young and fast. 
Still young. I'll Kirk. use these legs. Don't you boys worry. <laughs> You're faster than me, so I can't talk. I'll use them. Well, we made it. Tim, we you did. can delete that imposter syndrome. <laughs> here now, the episode's going to go live. It's official. <laughs> Thanks for having me, guys. It's been a pleasure. We'd ask your Instagram handle where to follow along because you post about daily about your training, but Bracken said it a thousand times on here. Twinning the race is your Instagram handle. So everybody already knows that. <laughs> Thanks for promoting me, Bracken. I appreciate it. Speaking of, is <laughs> do I see a hint of a running public shirt underneath that sweatshirt? It is. Uh, you can't see it there. There's only one flavor of yellow. There it one is. flavor of yellow like well, that. I'm, repre- I'm representing. Where's yours, Bracken? I already sweat through it. <laughs> this room is about Look at those armpits. Oh, my goodness. Can you ring out that those armpits? Probably. I bet you could. This is what I put up to, to podcast with you guys today. This heat wave is not kind to my recording room. It is not connected to any air conditioning. Rough. All right, Tim. Well, thank you very much, sir. It's been a treat getting to know you better. Thanks for having me, guys. See you, boys.